If you will, turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 25. We're going to be jumping a lot, but it's all going to be in one section here of a, of a few chapters. Let's see. Uh, I was supposed to announce this this morning and totally forgot, but I can do it now, right? I can announce this tonight? No? Can I? Yeah. Did you say yes? Okay, all right, all right. Um, <laughs> I lost those other glasses, and now I've got these reader things, and so I'm all confused about what I'm looking at. Okay, so tonight, like, we're celebrating Danny's birthday. Danny Pierce. Danny, raise your hand over here. Raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. There you go. All right. All right. Uh, he, he, uh, he, he's been around with us for a long time. You'll see him around here, and he annoys, a part, you, know, annoys you to death and all that stuff. And, but, but anyway, he's a great person to have around. You'll enjoy him. But it's his birthday and we need to have a little birthday gathering afterwards. So if you can at all, just stay for some ice cream and some cake and, and, you know, and, and, and just kind of visit with him for a while. It, it'll be worth your while. It's going to be an enjoyable time just for some fellowship and all that and grateful that he is with us. We are in Exodus chapter 25 for just a second. I, I, th- this section right here, nobody preaches ever from this section. That means I'm going to take a stab at it, right? That's just what it means. Is you're going to, you know, I know you'll try it. Maybe the most boring sermon in the history of the world, but you're going to try it. Well, this is, I don't know, this is like reading blueprints for a house you're building. And it's, it, it, which means for some people, that kind of stuff's exciting. People who know what they're reading and what they're talking about. But for other people, it's like, man, what are we even doing this for? Uh, so how many of you, if you were building a house or if you're buying a house, you really don't care what it looks like as long as you can live in it? How many of you are real meticulous and detailed and you care about every little thing? That's most of you? Okay, so you care about this stuff. God is having a house built for himself, and he's very meticulous, and he communicates it. The other day, I'm dropping by, yesterday, I'm dropping by on Clint's birthday. Clint, where are you? I saw Clint's over here. He had his 35th birthday yesterday, and they just opened their pool, and so he got to swim in the pool, and it was his day he's supposed to put all the doors in his new house. He's building a new house. The Goldens are too. And you'll watch on Facebook, and they kind of show you how it's going. So I said, hey, I'm here to do so. Let's, let's put up some doors. And I'm thinking, you know, they cut in a little kit. You just slap them up there, and it's done, right? A couple of minutes per door. Hours and hours and hours later, we are finishing up number five. He uses a thing called a little bubble in it. What's that thing called? A level. I don't know what the big deal about a level is. He uses a level, and he uses all these things called shams, which is like little cheater things you put in here. And he, and he nails it here, and he measures it this way, and it's got to be perfect, and he backs up, and he looks at the line, and if it's not exactly right all the way down, he starts doing it. I'm like, come on already. It's a door. If it opens, great. Hallelujah. Move on. Right? Who cares about the door? And there was this one going to a closet of nowhere. It, there's nothing to it. There's nothing behind here. It has about oh, maybe two feet behind it. Who cares about that door? You know, nail that thing in? No, it's all meticulous. You want somebody to build your house? You want Clint Dials to build your house if you're meticulous. God seems to be, Clint seems to be like God when it comes to building a house, right? Because God in this particular destruction, when he's talking about this house that's going to be portable, he wants every single detail covered. And as you're reading through that, your eyes gloss over. But every once in a while, like walking a muddy path, Every once in a while as you're walking this muddy path, there comes this beautiful flower that grows, and you're like, what a weird place for a neat detail. Well, that's what we're going to look at, some of those neat details in the story. 
One of the first things you'll find is in chapter 25, verse 30. It's this weird spot where the, the table and the showbread is. It's in the holy place before you get to the most holy place. There's three things in the holy place just before you get in the most holy place. And it's called the showbread, the table for showbread. And it, it's built very much like the Ark of the Covenant with the rings and the poles that stay in there. And it's just a table overlaid with gold. And you're sitting there going, what's the deal with a table? Well, you put 12 loaves of bread on it, one for each of the 12 tribes. Okay, that detail is given somewhere else. This is just talking about the table. And it's just, it's just a table sitting there with bread on it. What does that mean? It doesn't say, but if you'll look at verse 30, there's this little hint. kind of gives you maybe something of an idea. You shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. I don't know what that means. And now you can take some speculation about the symbolism of this, but I, I walked into a Hindu temple one time on a trip with a Harding group to world religions, and I'm sitting there watching these people walk around the gods. There's several of them in this room. They walk around it, and then they'll stop every once in a while, and they'll put a loaf of bread there. And they'll walk around. I'm like, what's the deal with this? And they said, they're feeding their god. It's something, isn't it, when you have a God you have to feed? Weird, isn't it? The table of showbread, though, while God says, I want them to make sure that there's... And every Saturday, every Sabbath day, they would replace, replace it with fresh bread. It was not about people feeding God. It's about God being the one who feeds his people. As they're in the presence of God, he wants to commune. And the way you commune is around a table. This is how you get to know people. This is how you get to have fellowship with people. And God makes sure that there's a table always in His presence. And what do you know in the New Testament? What's in the center of our worship? A table. A table with the Lord's Supper bread on it. God wants fellowship. He wants to be involved in your life. And He takes care of you. And that's all I can figure out the meaning of this thing. Other than that, it just kind of goes on to the next thing. Right next to it, close to it, was the golden lampstand that looked like a, looked like a tree. It's supposed to have little leaves, almond buds, and trees... Uh, little tree leaves type things and it's got seven um, lamps that it holds right it looks kind of like the tree of life and as long as you're in the light that God provides you're okay and this this shed light on the the showbread but also the the rest of the place in the holy place God is the light of his people and he wants us to walk in the light that he provides in the provision of bread but also in the provision of his word which is behind the veil. And finally, there's this veil that you see in this chapter. Yeah, it's, I don't know if you can see it very well in that picture, but this beautiful, ornate uh, creation of a seamstress person or a seamstress person, and it blocks the way into the most holy place. You can't get past that unless you're intending to, and only one person could do it once a year. The high priest could go back there. God is not accessible to most people. God is not reachable. He's kind of mysterious. What's behind that curtain? That's what you always think. What's behind that curtain? You'll never know. You're not back there. I mean, you know what's back there, but you can't go back there. Until you know that Jesus died, and the day Jesus died, what happened to the curtain? Tore in two from top to bottom. God was breaking it in two. Through Jesus, we do know God, but even with that, there's still mystery to this God that we have. And so that's what you have kind of in this particular chapter. And as, as you're going through all these details, there's some flashes about God's character that are given to us. 
There's this flash that God is concerned about being relevant to us and being real. This tabernacle, this tent that he would transport through the wilderness so that he could live with the people was made out of stuff that was waterproof. Because when you travel through wilderness areas, you're going to get rain. And God wants to be able to be part of your life even when it rains and not be destroyed by anything. And God also knows that there's no way that, that he's going to live among his people and that they're going to be perfect, and so he's got to take care of their sin. And so right in the center of everything, when they camped and when they traveled, was the, the mercy seat. Because without mercy, there's no way God can exist among us. And so he is realistic about us. I want you to know something. God wants to be part of your life, and he knows full well that you're flawed and you have sin, and he's taking care of that. He just wants us to know, I know how you live and I know your weaknesses, and I know your struggles, and I still want to live with you, and that's God. God's concerned about being relevant. God is ordered. There is such a structure. You can see this in creation. You know this. It's said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, God is not a God of chaos, but of order and decency. And in this chapter, you see him just meticulously describing exactly how he wants everything built and the size of it and what it's built out of. And even he wants etched cherubim and seraphim on this. And he wants certain uh, uh, plants and, and things to be etched in the side of these things. God is conveying something about himself. And he wants relationship badly, but he wants to be honored. And so he calls the shots about this and he says to Moses I'm showing you exactly what I want I'm conveying something about myself related to that is that God is so intent on us being in relationship with him that he reveals himself he communicates with us other gods people made up in their own minds in order to know what that God wants you have to take guesses and you have to come up with, well, I think what this God would want was me offering my firstborn son in the fire. Or I think he would want this, or I would think he would want that. But here's the thing, the Christian faith and the faith of, a, of the God of the Bible is this. I don't want you guessing. I don't want you thinking necessarily about what you need to do. I want you to know what I want. You can't have a relationship with someone who doesn't communicate with you about themselves. Because only they know. Consider what he declares clearly, for instance. Exodus chapter 30, if you'll jump up to there, verse 7. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he'll burn it. At regular, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering. And you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its, its horns once every year. This is what I want on it. Don't put this on it. Don't put this on I'm being real clear to you what I want here. And I want you to know we live in a world where everybody wants to offer God something. I want him to offer this. I want to offer him my best this. And I want to offer him my... Sometimes what God says, I don't want you offering what you think. I want to determine how I'm going to be worshipped. What I enjoy seeing from my people. Look at chapter 30, same chapter, verse 25. 
And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. It's, and it gives exactly, if you look at the previous verses, how much of this chemical or how much of this substance to put in it. It's a particular smell God's looking for. And then verse 26, With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of testimony and the table, all its utensils, the lampstand, its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the basin and the stand. You shall consecrate them. They shall be most holy. Whoever touches them will become holy. You'll anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. You shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil through all the generations. It shall not be poured, what? It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. You shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy. This that I'm using for this has a particular smell I like, and I don't want anybody using it for anything else. God's favorite perfume or cologne, right? God makes it clear what He wants. And yet in all this, God is so very gracious. And what I mean by that is God loves Beauty. Why did he make it so colorful? Each of the colors meant something and symbolized something about God. And he wanted it to be beautiful. He wanted it to be breathtaking. This wasn't just some tent you put up somewhere across the wilderness. This was a beautiful, colorful creation that every time you met it, it says something about God. Here's a couple of verses. Go back to chapter 28, if you would. This was read earlier. I just want you to read some of this. Interesting little verse, 28, verse 2. You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. Did you get that? For glory and for beauty. That's 28, 2. Now go to 28, verse 40. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and for beauty. Our God doesn't want to be drab, and God could have created a world that just housed us, but he created a beautiful world with all sorts of neat, breathtaking things in it. It's conve he's conveying something about himself. You go through Europe, and some of you have done this, and I've, I saw Brad Hyde's pictures and some others, too, that um, Savannah, I think, took some pictures, too. A and you see those beautiful places of worship across Europe. Nobody's attending there, but they're beautiful places, right? Am amazing places where people have worshipped over the years. And, and I think they've spent a lot of money on that, and it seems wasteful. But you walk into some of those places, and it makes you think of the grand power of God when you walk in one. I have to think that's somewhat in the mind of Valley View. When you look on the top of that hill, and there's that gigantic church building, right? Right on the top of a hill makes you look up, right? That's kind of what we want from God. Now, here's an interesting little twist to this. The high priest we're going to talk about in just a second had this really beautiful garment that was made for him, heavy, had stones on it. It was very ornate. It was beautiful. And he wore it before the people. But do you know what he wore when he actually went into the most holy place once a year? He took that stuff off, and he put on a kind of colorless linen outfit of the regular priest, and he walked in there, and he put those things in the most holy place that were necessary for atonement. When he went in the presence of God, he took that stuff off. How many remember being told growing up, when you go to church, you got to dress your best for God? How many remember that, right? Now, the interesting thing about the high priest is, when you dress your best, it's for the people. When you go in before God, you go in 
very humbly. So really, what we should have been told as kids is the reason you're dressing up is for each other. You're trying to impress your fellow man because if you want to go in and impress God, you go in with humility. You go in with a servant's outfit. That's really what we should say. You don't need to impress. God's not impressed with the clothing you're wearing. God's looking at the heart. Not that it doesn't matter what you wear to church, but I just think that those words kind of mean something. But when it comes to those priests, the high priest had this breastplate with all the names of the tribes of Israel on it and precious stones. And there's a couple of verses I want you to notice about this that's kind of strange. Chapter 28, verse 12. You shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. The reason he had the names of the tribes on his shoulders was to remember them as he walked through the tabernacle. Chapter 28, same chapter, verse 29. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart, and then he goes into the holy place to bring, bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece breast of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. When he walks in there, he's not walking in there as himself. He's walking in there mindful of every child of God in Israel. He's thinking of the whole nation. He's not just thinking of himself. He's doing this in remembrance and on judgment for the people of Israel. What does that have to do with you? Raise your hand if you're a priest of the Lord. You have one high priest, Jesus, who did the work for you, but a priest does similar work. And here's the thing. We need to be mindful of one another as we go about our lives. We think about how our, our behavior affects each other. Think about how our lives influence each other. That's why when we're supposed to be like Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, it begins with, let this mind be in you. Look not only to your own interests, look also at the interests of each other. Put those stones of everybody's names on you as you go throughout your week and think about how can I be an encouragement to them now I'm not going to break any confidences here but the elders had some discussions today in the elders meetings and one of the most wonderful things and, and we have lots of dialogue lots of discussion but one of the most wonderful things to hear is them say you know this isn't just a right or wrong issue here how is this going to affect the church it's not just about whether I believe this is right or wrong it's how's it going to impact Everybody here, they were thinking like priests. One point I think is interesting that I think everybody needs to get from chapter 28, verse 3. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. God gave the spirit of skill to certain people to make this garment. That is sewing. Then you go to chapter 31, the entire chapter is talking about two people that God chose to put his spirit on them. It says, the Lord said to Moses, see I've called by name Bezalel the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I've filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze. 
I, this guy who's a woodworker, a carpenter, but he can add these other stone things to it. This guy I'm going to fill with my Holy Spirit. It's like a Clint Dials back in the, you know, thousands of years ago. No one ever really thought Clint was all that smart, did they? But, you know, he's full of the Holy Spirit with talent and skill. And what he's going to do, he's going to build this tabernacle just exactly like I, I want him built. And, and a church is, is full of people with different gifts. And not all of them are, are visible. Not all of them are public, like preaching or song leading. And we stress that with our young people as well we should. But there's a lot of gifts that are just out there interspersed among us to build up the church that never are seen and aren't public at all. But they're every bit as crucial. And God says, I'm putting my spirit on my people to, to cover all sorts of gifts. Do you remember one lady in the early church who was so significant that Peter decided he needed to bring her back to life? Do you all remember this story? Peter said, you know, she has been in so influential and she heard all these stories about how this lady had blessed people that he had to bring her back to life. What did she do? Does anybody remember what she did? She made clothing. A seamstress, Dorcas or Tabitha, whichever you want to call her. Tell me that that's not important. That's incredibly important. That's a gift from God. And God blesses the church with his Holy Spirit, and he gives gifts to everyone. And everyone's got at least one many. If you have many? And we need to view it that way. We need to view this. I've, been, I've got a Spirit of God upon me to do something well, and I want to use it to the glory of God. And I talk this way a lot to people. So... So uh, this one lady was at the hospice house the other day. She came in, and, and the, the family was talking about how good these nurses have been. And, and, and I got to mention to her before I left, I said, you realize you've got a great ministry here? One preacher to another, right? I remember being at Ken Young's house, and this one lady who came over to do therapy with him, and she was so gracious with him. And I said, man, you do your job well. That's a ministry you've got. And she looked at me real funny. I said, hey, I'm a preacher. I'm telling you, what you've got is a ministry here. You're blessing other people. We've got to view our lives this way. God tells us when you work for the Lord, not just for men, you're doing a ministry for Him. So if you're a city water and light person, you provide services for this community that are really important, and if you don't believe it, wait till the electricity goes out. And when you do that a certain way and you take your faith to work with you and you do this job and you realize I'm touching and influencing lives, you realize it's a ministry. Some of you just went back to your ministry. School teachers... Oh, God bless you. That is a ministry if there ever was one. When you go to school, and you influence the lives of that many people. Some of them, you're the only example of godliness they'll see in their entire lives. Don't tell me it's not a ministry. God has placed His Spirit upon you to take an awareness of why you're doing what you're doing and who you're doing it for and for whose glory, and it turns it into a ministry. It's not just a job you do. It's not just a work you go to. It's a ministry you perform. And you say, well, these guys were building the tabernacle. Yes, you're building the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave some of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. This is not an exhaustive list of the gifts. You want an exhaustive list, you'd add Romans chapter 12 to it. It has people who give, people who are kind, people who serve, people who are generous. Whatever is those gifts, here's the purpose for them, to equip God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. The reason he gave you a gift 
to use was to you, for you to use it to build up the kingdom of God in this congregation. You're doing exactly what those guys were doing back there in Exodus chapter 31. If I could change one thing about people in the church, it's this. I wish you would view your entire life as a spirit-filled ministry for God. I think it would change the significance of what you do. I think it would heighten for you an awareness of how important and crucial everything you do is when you walk through that school or walk through your factory or whatever you do, when you do it to the glory of God, it is a ministry that builds up this church, also builds up the kingdom here. I wish I could get that through your head. If your job is to pick up trash, and you pick up trash with an awareness of doing this for the glory of God, it is a ministry, and it builds up. When it all comes down to the final message of all this, when you look at all these meticulous details, and some of them are very tiresome, you feel a little guilty about thinking how boring this is when God kind of wraps it up in chapter 29, verse 45. I will dwell among the people of Israel. I will be their God, and they shall know they will know I'm the Lord their God in their midst who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell with them. I am the Lord their God. I want to be the Lord their God in their midst, not from afar. And he gave Moses in chapter 31, verse 18, a copy of the Lord's own writing. I'd love to see what that looked like. In stone. God longs to be in your life. God longs to be part of it. And he longs to provide light for you. And he offers it to you. And you can live your life in the light of God. You can, go, you, you can be with God everywhere you are. You can walk with him and you can know that he's living with you and blessing you. And I urge you to walk in the light because that's where God is. And he's done all that he can to show us, here's what it looks like when you live in the light that I give you. A couple chapters from now, the people are very quickly going to go AWOL. They're going to mess up big time. Actually, it's next week we're going to talk about this. They've baked this golden calf thing. And it threatens to jeopardize everything. And God says, I'm tired of this people already. I'm going to wipe them clean. And Moses, I'm going to start over with you. And Moses intervenes and says no. And he says, well, I can't travel with these people. I'm going to send an angel with you. And Moses looks at him. It's like he takes his glasses off and he says, God... We are not going to travel with an angel. I refuse to accept just an angel. If you don't go with us, we ain't going. And I hope that's your attitude for this week as you live your life. I want God living right in the middle of my life, all the, uh, the ugliness and the nuts and bolts of it and all the places where I have to go. I want God living with me. And if, if God can't go there and if God's not with me, I'm not going. And God will go. He will be your light. He'll be your provision. And He will be right there in your midst. He desires it and He shows us how. What kind of people would we be to refuse an offer like that? So this week, go with God.
there's any response you need to make this evening, make it now as we stand and as we sing.